0: Hello everyone, and welcome to All Things Mythology. I'm Jess, and today's episode is God of the Underworld, a variety pack. Honestly, this was initially going to be an episode dedicated just to the Egyptian god Anubis, but I realized there really wasn't quite enough info to fill an entire episode. Then it occurred to me that there are an endless amount of gods of the underworld that exist out there. So here we are. We're going to take a look at five gods today, Anubis, Hades, Velez, Aran, and Yanwing, and trust me, way more are still out there. While they are all the god of the underworld in their own mythological rites, they all have very different stories from one another. Before now, actually, I was only familiar with two out of the five gods. I had so much fun learning about them, and I hope you will too! First, let's travel to ancient Egypt and meet the god Anubis. When depicted, Anubis has the body of a man and the head of a jackal. For those of you that don't know, a jackal is basically a wild dog. Now, it definitely wasn't uncommon for Egyptian gods to have the head of an animal. But in this case, why a dog? Turns out that ancient Egyptians had a problem on their hands. A pretty big problem, actually. Jackals had a habit of digging up dead bodies and eating them. This was a problem because Egyptians believed that in order to enjoy the afterlife and for your soul to be at peace, your mortal body had to stay intact and be well-preserved. In an attempt to prevent these dog incidents from happening, people would pray to the god Anubis to please protect their loved ones from being eaten by wild dogs. This, of course, led to the god having a jackal for a head. To this day, Anubis is famously known for being the Egyptian god of the underworld. But in mythology, he actually got replaced. But he still held an important role. That story begins with the pharaoh Osiris, in an attempt to steal power, his jealous brother Seth murders him, chops him up, and sends the pieces down the Nile. Anubis was an ally of the pharaoh. With help from the other gods, all the pieces were collected and Anubis put Osiris back together. This is why Anubis is credited with inventing mummification. Osiris then descended to the underworld and became its ruler. And so, Anubis took on a new role. He would weigh the hearts of the deceased and judge the merit of their soul. If the heart weighed more than the feather, it was devoured by a monster. And if it weighed less than the feather the soul would ascend to what was essentially heaven. Modern-day pop culture has a habit of painting Anubis to be this terrifying evil being, but he really wasn't all that bad. Lots of movies have linked curses to him, one example being the bracelet of Anubis in the sequel, The Mummy Returns. To be fair, I absolutely love those movies, but they're really not the most accurate. However, there was one curse actually linked to the god. As burials became more advanced, wild dogs weren't such a concern anymore. But grave robbers definitely were. It was believed that people could still use their valuables in the afterlife if they had been buried with them. All that treasure just sitting there? This attracted thieves from all over. To discourage the potential robbers, artists would decorate tombs with images of Anubis, and priests would carve curses into the walls promising that the god would punish them in life and death. If they committed this sin. If you're like me, you probably discovered mythology through Egyptian and Greek myths. So here's a fun little crossover for y'all. In some versions of the myth, Anubis began to be credited with guiding souls to the underworld. In Greek mythology, the god Hermes was often credited with this rule. After Rome came to power in Egypt, a new guider of souls was introduced Hermanubis. It's literally spelled Herm. Anubis. What a cute couple name. (laughs) This god was depicted as having the body of a man and the head of a jackal, like Anubis, and he carried a sacred staff, like the Greek god Hermes. Speaking of Greek mythology, let's talk about our man Hades. Now, a quick disclaimer, when it comes to Greek mythology, there is a ton of overlap between all the different myths. I'll probably do an episode in the future about the Titans versus Olympians, but for now, long story short, the Titan Cronus ate his children, the Olympians, Zeus rescued his siblings, and that's how the Olympians rose to power. I obviously skipped lots of detail, but for now, that's what we need to know. Once rescued, Zeus and his two brothers, Poseidon and Hades, decided that they needed to claim which realms they would be ruling. And to make it fair, they essentially drew straws. Zeus got the sky, Poseidon the ocean, and Hades landed the underworld. Unfortunately, once becoming king of the underworld, Hades wasn't really welcomed in Olympus by his fellow gods. And he also wasn't welcomed on earth by mortals. He was considered creepy and depressing to be around. You know, maybe that's why he's always in such a bad mood. Because Hades was feared by many, he doesn't actually make too many appearances in myths. And when he does, he's not exactly shown in the best light. The most famous myth he's known for is the story of Persephone and Hades. I briefly mentioned this last episode, but a short recap. Dude kidnapped a pretty girl and forced her to become his wife. Not exactly the most romantic. Then we have the tale of Pirithous. He was a young man who decided he wanted Persephone for himself. She was the most guarded woman in the universe, but he was determined. He even convinced his best friend Theseus to help. So the two of them set off for the underworld. Of course, Hades wasn't just going to allow these guys to steal his wife, who he already stole. As punishment, Hades made the two men sit on the chair of forgetfulness. This chair had the power to make its occupant forget everything and anything. Eventually, Hercules arrived and saved Theseus, but Hades refused to let go of Pirithous. While this is yet again another myth that doesn't paint Hades in the best light, to be fair, all the men in that story are kind of trash. Like, no one even asked for Stephanie what she wanted. But on that not-so-fun note... Let's head over to Russia. Here, we meet Velez, the Salvic god of earth, waters, livestock, and the underworld. Since this particular god had such strong ties to the natural elements, it should be no surprise that this was the god witches and warlocks turned to. And, just like sorcerers used songs and chants, Velez used this as a tool to travel between dimensions and help souls cross over to the other side. At this time, witchcraft was practiced by way more than you would expect. It's believed witches could use the natural elements to channel the energy and help them achieve their desires, some good and some bad. For the most part, witches were just considered healers. However, that changed once Christianity arrived to this region. Witchcraft was now connected to the devil and considered a sin. The god Belez had been previously worshipped as a protector of livestock And while he was connected to witchcraft, it wasn't necessarily evil. But with the new religion circulating, the meaning of Vélez changed. He was suddenly depicted as an evil, cruel god with horns. Remind you of anyone? And worshipping him was banned. All images of him, whether in public or private spaces, were removed and prohibited. Luckily, in modern times, people now see how his image was distorted, and to pay respects to their culture's past, some Celts will sing his songs or chants to feel that connection once again. We'll now take a look at Celtic mythology. Aran is their god of the underworld and death. He's also known as the god of revenge, war, and terror. Definitely don't want to get on his bad side. However, in addition to war and death, Aran represents honor and duty. He's a fair and just god who always keeps his word but he also tolerates zero insubordination. According to Welsh folklore, Aran had pets? They were terrifying hounds, and during the cold seasons, he would take the hounds hunting for souls that needed to be punished for any wrongdoings they had committed. Later, Christianity named these creatures hellhounds, and it's believed they belong to Satan himself. Although Aran's underworld wasn't really equivalent with hell, it's actually described as a place of eternal youth and bliss. One of the most famous stories Iran makes an appearance in comes from Mabinogi. The story starts with a ruler named Powell. Sorry if I pronounced that wrong. He went hunting after a stag, and suddenly giant hounds with red eyes appeared and tore the stag apart. A man arrived, chased the hounds off, and informed Puel he was in the underworld, and he was attempting to steal Aran's stag. Now he must go and beg the God for mercy. Iran ended up offering a strange form of repentance to Pihl. Like, nowhere in the story does it explain the reasoning. But the offer was for the two men to trade places slash bodies for a year. Kinda like Freaky Friday. Pihl accepted and even declared that he would defeat Iran's enemies for him. For the whole year, Pihl did exactly what people expected of Iran. And at night, the queen would offer herself to him. Wink, wink. Technically, Iran never said this was against the rules. But nonetheless, Pibble never gave in to temptation. Once the year was over, they switched back and Pibble informed Iran he fulfilled everything he had promised and never touched his wife. Iran admitted doing the same. All was forgiven and the two returned to their own lives. And finally, we end this episode with a trip to China. In Chinese mythology, Yan Wang acts as god of the underworld. This version of the underworld can easily be compared to Dante's Inferno. The inferno being the nine circles of hell. The deeper you go, the more horrifying it gets. Depending on a person's sins determined what circle of hell would be their punishment. The Chinese underworld had ten layers of hell. It was named Dayu which is Mandarin for Inferno. The main difference between the two is that nobody can escape Dayu. With the Inferno, unless your soul deserved punishment, you would just avoid it altogether and go straight to heaven. Well, everyone went to Dayu. But your sins would determine what layer you were sent to and how long you actually had to stay there before moving on to either reincarnation or just exiting the circle altogether. It was believed that virtuous people were sent to heaven for some time before their reincarnation. Sinners, on the other hand, were interrogated by Yan Wang himself, and once deemed guilty, they were sentenced to wander the layers of hell until finally reaching their own punishment. Each punishment was carefully crafted for the individual. For example, arsonists were tied to red-hot copper, Murderers who stabbed were sentenced to climb mountains of razor-sharp knives. The deepest level was reserved for people who committed especially heinous crimes, including murdering parents or an enlightened being. These people were punished by Yen Wang himself and would eventually be reincarnated as an insect in their next life as further punishment. A key difference between Yen Wang and the other gods we've looked at is he was not immune to the punishments of his realm. He was trapped in Dayu just like all the other souls. In fact, when he wasn't passing judgments, he was strapped down three times a day and had hot metal poured down his throat. Believe it or not, Yan Wang was not an evil god, although he is pretty scary. In mythology, he's actually considered the fifth king of hell because he was too lenient. That's right, the fifth king. It's also believed that Yan Wang isn't so much a person, but more of a title, in some versions, once a king has finished serving his sentence, he would either reincarnate or exit the cycle. Once the position opened up, a new mortal would be selected as reward for their honorable deeds on Earth. And there you have it, five different gods of the underworld from all over the world. Thank you so much for listening. I had a lot of fun with this episode, and I really hope you enjoyed it. There's a lot more gods of the underworlds out there, so who knows? Maybe a part two one day? We'll see. If you liked today's episode, please rate, subscribe, and follow. Tell all your friends. It really means a lot to me, and it'll help the show grow. And as promised, in the last episode, I made an Instagram account. It's at all things underscore mythology. Please give that a follow if you feel so inclined. I'll also drop that username in the description box, just in case y'all want to see it. Once again, thank you so much for listening and supporting, and I'll see you all next time. Thank